You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have with me David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks. Glad that you are here. I um, happen to accidentally wander into a Target last Saturday and uh, realized immediately my huge mistake that this was back-to-school <laughs> sale time, and by the crowds and the um, loud raised voices and the frantic parents wandering around with long <laughs> lists of supplies to get and the kids insisting that they wanted the Batman backpack instead of the um, SpongeBob backpack. Uh, I, I was reminded it is getting to be that time of year, and I think it's coming earlier and earlier every year. <laughs> it absolutely feels like it's earlier this year than ever. We just don't seem to um, have much of a summer. But that always reminds me of, unfortunately, some of the concerns that parents and Adults and students should have as they approach returning to school, particularly as they may be um, entering high school or going into college, that there are some pitfalls, some landmines, some really difficult situations that they may find themselves in. And one of those things is the use of stimulants, ADHD drugs, not because they have ADHD, but because the students are under the impression that this is going to help them to be successful or give them a leg up on everybody else in the class. Um, this is becoming a, a really big problem, and I know we're seeing evidence of that at the Atlanta Healing Center in terms of who's coming in and what kinds of addictions we're treating right now. We're seeing... Um actually a, a, a real trend where they're going to college and and students who have never been diagnosed with ADD before, ADHD before, and never have had a diagnosis before, but because of the pressures of college, because of the changes of college life, have gotten onto um, a stimulant medication. Um, but when they're coming to see us, they've begun modifying that by then also using um, uh, anti-anxiety medication or an opioid to off- offset what the what the speed is doing or the amphetamine is doing. So they're coming in um, looking like a mood disorder, looking with with dis- patterns of very very high and very very low and up and down and up and down um, um, in a real short time period. Freshman freshman year, sophomore year, they're getting to a um, chronic addictive use of this up and down pattern. And it is extremely problematic and in fact somewhat dangerous. There was um, an interesting article in the U.S. News and World Report about uh, why people should be concerned about kids using and by kids I'm using that as a large <laughs> a large number of people from junior high high school students all the way up through college and graduate students um, we should be concerned about this because of some 
effects, not just the fact that they may be developing an addiction. We all know that that is certainly a possibility for them. But because they are using this medication in a way that's, first of all, illegal. It is illegal for you to use a medication if you are not prescribed it. And many times young people will buy a few Adderall or other stimulant medications from a friend who is getting it via prescription in order to study for a test. So that's illegal, uh, and they can get into trouble. And they can get into trouble having that kind of an interaction between two people where I have a prescription and I'm going to sell you, David, a couple of pills of my Adderall. Um, I could be in trouble now and arrested as um, a drug dealer. Um, we could have a, that interaction in and of itself is a criminal offense and carry some pretty significant penalties. Well, and if I were to have some other complications because I took that Adderall or that medication that wasn't prescribed for me and I'm, I may have had some conditions that I shouldn't have it, and if I happen to die, you could you could be charged with manslaughter mm-hmm. as the person who illegally gave me that drug. Right. Well, and one of the things where I see is parents that come in and and they'll be kind of listing what they think is going on and they'll say, well, I know he uses Adderall to study. Um, he's not prescribed it. He gets it from somebody. But everybody does that. And there's such a culture in they've they've should, talked to the parents and, and made them think that this is normal. This is just mm-hmm. part of college. And, and a lot of parents buy into it. And um, unfortunately, a lot of students buy into it, too, feeling like, I need an edge, I need a leg up, I need something that's going to help me get ahead and score better on my tests, complete my projects, do a better job in school. They're also, in some ways, using this to manage a lot of stress, whether that's internal stress that they're putting on themselves to get the straight A's, get into the top graduate school, be able to maintain their scholarships, or whether it's pressure that's being placed upon them by expectations of their parents or their uh, professors or their teachers in high school, that we expect you to be able to perform very well, and so the, the person is beginning to look for a way to help them do that, and sometimes that involves a legal method by going and talking to a health care provider, rarely a psychiatrist, but sometimes. Generally, it's through the student health center or their pediatrician that a lot of young people get placed on these medications, or they're doing it illegally by buying it from a roommate or a friend or somebody else who does have a prescription for it, or using the internet and buying it from the internet, and then that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother show <laughs> in terms of the dangers of that, but in some ways they're using it to, to manage the stress that they feel to perform and to really be successful. 
So as a as a performance enhancer, the other the other stress that a lot of them are using it for is is the social pressures. Um, they they get to college and they don't have the ability to say no to invitations. Um, so they're going to parties, then they're going to um, sporting events, and they're going to concerts and all of these different things, and putting taking time to study at the very back of the of the list of things they need to do and with the pressure to still be successful they're getting prescriptions not so they can study appropriately but so they can do that late night all night bench studying to to get all of the information in their brain at the last minute and granted most of us did that in college <laughs> and there are a lot of all-nighters that we lived through and in college was the substance of choice at coffee was the substance of choice at that time um but that same pressure is now being intensified by a, by much much stronger um um cognitive stimulants and the problem is that they estimate that about 17% of college students now are misusing stimulant medication in uh, and a way to either perform better or as you say David make up for lost time thinking that, well, now I've got to stay up all night because that project's due tomorrow and I went to the party instead of doing what I needed to do. So some of it's immaturity, some of it's lack of planning. Some of it, though, is the effect of the drug itself on the person. Now, studies have shown that this may actually increase the motivation to do something, but it does not improve their cognitive performance. It doesn't make them a smarter person. It doesn't make them more capable of learning. It doesn't make them uh, score a better grade than they would have been able to score if they would have done the appropriate level of studying. It doesn't change your IQ. It doesn't turn someone of an average IQ into a brilliant person. But it does make that person now feel invincible. It makes that person feel much more confident, often overly confident, and they often have this feeling because of the dopamine, the massive amount of dopamine that these types of medications release in the brain. It's much more than nicotine. It's much more than alcohol or opiates. It's a lot of dopamine that gets released by stimulants. The highest amount of dopamine is released by stimulants. And if they were to be snorting this or smoking it or heaven forbid, injecting this, then that level of euphoria, that level of invincibility creates a whole another set of problems for this person because now they're not only chasing the fact that they feel pressure to perform and they haven't done the work they needed to do, but they like the way it makes them feel. And we often see them escalating the drug and taking it at times when it's not for study, taking it at times and in doses that are not appropriate if they truly did have ADD. They're, they're taking it for the euphoria and that, um, that incredible feeling they get when they use this drug. And they're not even realizing that they're creating a lot of chaos, that they're not, they're not doing better. But they don't understand that. They don't see that in their own life. They think that because they feel so good that they must be 
on on the right path and doing everything correctly. But then you look at their performance, and it's usually not very good. Well, and I, I think it's important to notice to note that <coughs> there really are adults that have ADHD, and there sure. really are college students who have that. But when when somebody has that as a real issue, and they're really working to become successful. Um, they're generally advised that it's not just a medication to fix this issue, that there's also lifestyle changes that they have to make. And and um, some of the suggestions that they really recommend involve um, talking to your professors and, and disclosing the diagnosis and disclosing that you need accommodations, always attending the live class and getting assistance with the notes, things that involve the person actually reaching out to the to the institution for help and and what we tend to find with patients that are coming to us is that those are steps that were never ever never considered <clears throat> they went to uh, a doctor maybe or other students and got these these um, drugs but the idea that they were going to go say i have this diagnosis and i need to make these special arrangements was something that would not have been uh, a step that they would have taken and this, this is part of the difficulty. And as we know, unfortunately, most college students, most and certainly all high school students, do not have a fully adult brain. That part of their brain that's responsible for problem solving, decision making, setting goals, delaying gratification, is not fully developed. So their ability to manage their time and to be wise about their priorities is um, is not a skill set that they necessarily have. And now they're being set loose to try and manage this and using these stimulants is one of the ways they're trying to do that. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about some other things parents might need to consider as their children go back to school. Please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. 
These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to Detailing Addiction, and we're on America's Web Radio. Today, David Donaldson and Michael Daly and myself have been talking about some of the things parents need to consider as they're sending their kids back to school. Before the break, we were talking about the diagnosis of ADHD and the um, ways in which uh, sometimes this is an appropriate diagnosis, but often the medications used to treat this are being misused as a way to manage stress, as a way to manage poor time management, as a way uh, that kids are believing that it is going to give them special powers and make them smarter than they are, but also because it makes them feel good. And I think there are a few other reasons why kids um, and young people, I keep calling them kids, that's probably not fair, but while why young adults in particular have some difficulties going particularly to college and being able to manage life. Um. And it is it is true that when uh, kids get to college, now I'm saying it too. When young adults get to college, that they're they're not measuring up, and they're not they're not having the success that they had in high school. And often it's a surprise for them. And sometimes they are are able to really pinpoint it on I was partying too much, and and it was an alcohol and drug thing. And sometimes it is because they actually do have ADHD issues. Or, or maybe it's a maturation issues that are manifesting, um, that are happening at at the college level, that were covered up by the the structure that's provided at the high school level. In high school, you know, you, you classes start at eight o'clock or some ungodly early hour, <laughs> and they are going from bell to bell to bell. They have lunch and then they go to the afternoon classes and then the the day is over and they have their after school activities and they go home and there's structure that's built into life um, which when and alerts if they don't do that mm-hmm. so if they are missing from school there's a phone call from the front office if they're late for school if there is um, a problem at school the parents are often alerted mm-hmm. that something is is not right and the person may need some additional help when you turn 18 the parents no longer have the right to have that information either so part of the difficulty in going to college is the parents don't get alerted other adults who might be able to help provide some structure and organizational skills they're they're out of the picture as far as the university <coughs> is concerned mm-hmm. and they're expected to have these skills when they're when they're getting to their freshman year 
Um, and and as a lot of studies have shown, the kids that tend to do the best are are the ones that live at home, or the ones that are at small private colleges where the structure is is still very much like a high school setting. When they're at a at a large public institution and they've got to structure their lives, it's it's often a time that's pretty difficult for some of them. And the universities that don't allow. Um, students to live off campus, don't allow them to have a car the first year. Some of these things really do help the student be able to take that gradual step into adulthood. Now, even in college, many of the young people have a meal plan. They have a (coughs) transportation service. They have a number of things that still can help provide some some structure and some benefit for them but they don't have classes back to back and they can choose to have classes in the late afternoon or evening and sleep all day and stay up all night they can make decisions that may seem like a good idea come August or September as they're enrolling in their courses that end up not being such a great idea for them in terms of being able to be truly successful with their life. Mm-hmm. And this is, a, this is a very difficult thing because, as we mentioned in the last segment, they don't get a fully adult brain till they're... A couple years out. Yeah, till they're in their mid to late 20s. And so some of these expectations that we have of college students in terms of being able to police themselves, manage their own lives, get the organizational skills that they need and take responsibility for making sure that they're at class and taking notes and attending the tutoring sessions and the extra credit sessions. That's just not a skill set many of these young people have at that point in their life and when you combine that then with this myth that here's an easy way to play catch up here's an easy way to make it all go away snort some of this ritalin and you'll be fine Uh, we we create unfortunately very difficult scenarios and often young people actually do not even finish the first semester, let alone the first year of college. Mm-hmm. It catches my attention each time that you say snort this Ritalin or snort this amphetamine, <clears throat> because I'm sure most parents think when they agree or they take their kid to the doctor and they get the medication that the kids are going to be young, responsible people and take the pill and swallow the pill and let it Having process through their system. Uh, but the kids have learned from their friends that if you want the real effect from it, you have to crush it up and snort it. So pretty much when, when a, a patient comes to us and you talk to them about how they were using their, their medication, it was not going through their system. <laughs> right. And not in the not in the usual and expected delivery system that the pharmaceutical companies have designed and the doctor intended for them. I think the other piece that may be setting some of our young people up, particularly those that get diagnosed with ADHD a bit later in their career, middle school, high school, certainly college, is pot. Often when you look at what is co-occurring at the time that they get diagnosed, it's that they have also started smoking pot, which begins to affect their motivation, their memory, their learning centers, and they 
have now short-circuited all of that, and grades fall away, their interest in sports and music and extracurricular activities falls away, and their lifestyle changes dramatically, often this is a time, unfortunately, where drug tests aren't included in their evaluation for ADHD, and mystery solved, give them a stimulant, everything Uh will be okay. Right. And sometimes it does prop them up enough that they um, that they do manage to get through high school, but that's another thing to be concerned about. I think is the the use of marijuana because it starts pretty early for most of our um, young people these days, and it is something to really be considered as the reason that there has now been this dramatic change in their school life and their grades and their uh, motivation for school, that's not always ADHD, although it is often diagnosed as that. Well, and kids are getting such a mixed message, like in the media, and, and, and if you listen to any news, you hear about either Washington or Colorado or somewhere that has legalized pot, so these kids think, well, it's legal in some states, so it can't be that bad for me. And then they're using it, but they're not able to keep up with with what's happening in their lives now. The the other piece that we were talking about on break that I find so interesting is is the changing learning, in the sense that so much of it now is done online and through computer classes, and and apparently now there's even textbooks that have direct links for YouTube videos um, that that is right there beside the same thing that when they're, you know, they're jonesing on marijuana and they're just going through YouTube videos or they're playing all of these war games on their computer and they're supposed to flip over and watch this video about some biological process and retain that information. Um, it's it's a expectation that many of them aren't able to, to make that jump. Right. Back in our day when studying meant go to the library, um, check out books, articles, magazines. Uh, that was not also my play place. No. And now that using the computer to submit your coursework, to listen to lectures, to check out notes, uh, which is also their primary source of entertainment, watching their Netflix and their YouTube videos and emails and Instagram, all of these things coming in through that. Uh, the, these things were not in my chemistry books. They were not in my math books or my science or my English books. Those books contained the information I needed to learn. They did not also contain the distractions and all the things that I would rather be doing sometimes. Right. And even back, <clears throat> I guess, when we were in college, you know, you were told, don't study on your bed. You know, study at the desk or study at the library or study where it is that it's study time and then wherever it is for sleep time is sleep time. And, and you learned certain things. But now, you know, everyone studies where they play. Just like you're saying, you know, they're going to the computer. Um, there's no need to go to another building or to another room or to another area. 
because but it's just the, there. The point that you were bringing up earlier was that your study habits affected the person beside you because if you checked this book out, somebody else was going to need it in two weeks and you had to get your study taken care of and turned back in. Because you wouldn't be able to check it out again because it would be gone. Yeah. There's a list. So there are a number of reasons for folks to be really cautious around this diagnosis. Make sure it's the accurate diagnosis and make sure, David, as you said, that they're doing the additional things to support uh, this diagnosis and recovery from it. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the other things to be concerned about as your child goes back to school. Please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not... You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. Today I have Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're talking about things that parents should be aware of as their loved ones return to School, <laughs> high school, middle school, maybe even elementary school. Uh, we certainly know that 
each level of school, each year of school presents its own challenges and its own benefits and its own opportunities for growth. We also know that they also prevent present, <laughs> I wish they prevented, they present some unique challenges that are often pretty common. And one of the things that many students just see as a rite of passage is going to college and binge drinking. This is really so common. It's estimated that over 60% of college students have had a binge drinking episode in the last month. That's a lot. Right. And you would think that with the the change, and I say change, um, in drinking age from from originally 18 to 19 and then 21 that most college students are under that 21 year old mark but we managed to get it somehow and it it doesn't slow it down at all the changing in the drinking ages the the talking about the the effects of drinking the the scare tactics of of that have not been effective um um in changing college be, college student behavior, it's interesting because the the partying listing in the in the universities of number one party school is, is still you know one of those those things that everybody t- tends to know. You know, Georgia's right up there on top. You know that um, University of Florida is right up there. Um, and despite what colleges do to try to change it, those numbers don't really change that much. They have not. In fact, it's estimated that um, uh, 1,825 students between the ages of 18 and 24 die because of alcohol-related unintentional injuries, including motor vehicle deaths. That's a lot of people dying. Um, they estimate almost 700,000 students between the ages of 18 and 24 are assaulted by another student who has been drinking. Almost a million people. A year. A year are assaulted by um, Somebody someone who has been drinking. It's estimated 100,000 students between the ages of 18 and 24 experience alcohol-related sexual assaults or date rapes. And we know that um, on average six students die a, a month from alcohol poisoning. We don't even think about that. Uh, too often, but as we enter this uh, first six weeks of college, we know this is when there is rush week for the fraternities and sororities, and this is well known for being heavy, high drinking, and that the goal is not to sip a nice glass of wine to enhance the meal. The goal is to get blackout drunk as soon as possible. The goal is to get to a at least a 0.08, which is legally drunk, um, very soon, and most um, young people are able to do this pretty quickly. So a binge drink is um, characterized as um, four drinks in uh, a row one night for a woman or five drinks for a man. That's considered a binge drinking, and that puts you 
for the most part into now you are eligible for a DUI arrest. So this is the common thing that happens, and young people are now drinking liquor instead of beer and wine. Uh, they are also pre-partying, so they will drink a lot very rapidly, doing shots and other things to get um, their buzz on before they go to a party or before they go to the football game. Uh, it, it's a huge problem, and this is their goal, not not to just be social, it's to be drunk. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting when you, when you hear what's defined as what binge drinking is, the numbers actually don't even compare to what college students are actually doing when they're Equality. out there drinking. Right. The idea of, of five drinks is a bench drink, and for a lot of college students, five drinks is just the drinking pre-party before you go out. And, and the other piece that, that we hear about all the time at the Atlanta Healing Center is that this is where they discovered that if they do some cocaine, they can drink more. Um, or if they do all of this drinking and then they do some cocaine and then they do some Xanax, they can come down and the and they come down much easier. And or, it's not even necessarily cocaine. They can that study aid that they they have right. um, in the in the drawer can safely be pulled out and snorted. And bam, you can drink twice as much without feeling the effect. Or massive amounts combining energy drinks with their alcohol. Another way to keep awake and to be stimulated enough to be able to continue to drink more and more. And this combination of whatever form of stimulant is preferred is or available usually Mm -hmm. what is available is often what the young people are using unfortunately to extend their drinking hours and their drinking time very unfortunate and and so it's easy to see how the the assaults happen when somebody's taking a stimulant drug that drug that's making them feel all powerful and they're taking um, uh, alcohol that is a disinhibitor and so they're feeling like they can do whatever they want. Um, all kinds of consequences are likely to occur. Right. right. They're going to get into fights. They're going to make bad judgments. They're going to destroy property. Vandalism goes up. Uh, we know that certainly um, the consequences that happen during the intoxication are part of it. But one in four college students reports academic consequences from their drinking, which may include not going to class, uh, failing a class, not sending in their assignments on time, missing tests, or performing poorly on tests. And many times this results in the students either having to extend their college year or actually not being able to get through the academic probation they may be put on and and not being able to complete their college. And this is a really big deal because many of these young people have worked pretty hard to be able to go to college, and they and their families have sacrificed a lot, and yet the drinking behavior that is often, if not encouraged by the university, certainly overlooked, and um, and these young people involved in the fraternities, involved in the sororities, involved in the tailgate parties every weekend, these... Young people are finding themselves in a lot of trouble. You hear you hear the colleges taking it seriously when there's a, a real national story of one of them dying from from 
excessive drinking or um, um, having hazing. a hazing incident that becomes a national press story. But short of that, you you don't hear it, and and the numbers show that that a lot more people are dying than than is becoming the national stories. The other thing that is, they begin having a lot of um, other consequences that get marked out as as a psychiatric issue or something else and it's not directly connected to the alcohol and the drinking and the drug use um, there will be an increase in suicidal um, ideation and suicide attempts when when they're beginning to have the effects from too much drinking um, there's there's consequences of unsafe sexual practices and of course there's consequences of drinking and driving that begin to really hit and impact um, these people's lives and, and many of these things um, you know it, it's not just your freshman year of college these decisions impact the rest of the life well and like you were talking before about how people may you know use the stimulant at one point and then use either marijuana or drinking to to as as the come down um and the change in attitude in between the two. And I'm always very amazed at how many parents would rather have their child have a behavioral or a psychiatric um, diagnosis rather than a addiction diagnosis, you know? And I, I, it just throws me every time to, to hear a parent say, well, no, no, he's bipolar and, and you know, this anxiety. isn't. Yeah, he's got anxiety, or he's got whatever disorder it is, and they just don't want to come to grips with this is behavior of a potential alcoholic or an addict. And it is. Um, it is happening more and more. <coughs> There's um, interesting comments that I will hear from parents that they are actually more concerned about their children pledging for a good sorority or fraternity or living in the the fraternity house than they are about um, the potential health consequences, legal consequences, scholastic consequences that can occur from them living in that environment because the young people who are most likely to drink and have consequences are those that live in, and I'm sure there's lots of people frowning at their... Um, at their device that they're hearing this on right now because many of them really do want to, oh, it's just what people do in college, and that's part of the rite of passage, and that's part of what students do. But unfortunately, it's also part of how students die and get arrested and get um, all kinds of consequences that can lead, unfortunately, as you said, David, to problems throughout the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, not a, it's not a simple fix and it's not a, a simple thing, but priorities for both the kids and their families sometimes need to be looked at. True. Our talking about this and using the word consequences all the time um, hopefully will translate to families at home talking about it because, because one of the best preventative um, ways to help college to young people going to college be successful is for them to have a real clear awareness of of how these behaviors have serious consequences um, it's been it's been um, studied and, and documented that when families talk about 
drinking and driving results in these consequences, that those kids have less incidence of it. So hopefully this will generate some communication and some conversation over the dinner table tonight. (laughs) Very important because how the parents' expectations, even though the child may be tempted and may still go out and and try some of these things. If there is communication about the use of drugs and alcohol, if there's communication about the expectation, then that young person is less likely to get into trouble. And if they are beginning to have difficulties, they're more likely to talk to their parents and to reach out and ask for help instead of letting the problem get bigger and deeper and telling the stories to the parents about, uh, oh, I'm doing fine and everything's great, and then the parents find out um, (laughs) at the end of the year that their child actually hasn't gone to school for the last six months. And um, And and the credit count just does not Not add up. (laughs) Does not add up. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about why colleges haven't done something to stop this binge drinking. We'll be right back. Right. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction, and I'm Dr. Susan Blank. Today I have David Donaldson and Michael Daly with me from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're talking about things parents should be aware of as their kids go back to school. We've been focusing more on the college years because in most situations what happens is the student goes off to college and the parent has a much less not only control but even contact with the student so when students are going to any any level of school parents should certainly be talking to them and in in an age appropriate way about the risks of drugs and alcohol unsafe behavior riding in the car with someone who is intoxicated um doing something in terms of wearing seat belts and 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 helmets when they're riding a bike. All of these things are really important safety discussions for parents to have as the kids are going back to school. One of the concerns has always been, as the students go back to college, though, that why isn't the college doing more? The colleges want to say this is a individual problem, this is a person, an individual person's issue, and they want to say this is a family problem to solve. And this is this has been the back and forth as the parents are saying, no, this is a university problem to solve, and everybody's doing the finger pointing. Universities have been talking about this for 20 years. Oh, more than 20. And they've been aware of the problem, yet we seem to see a continued difficulty um, with anything really happening. And the New York Times had a really interesting uh, article about this very subject, about why colleges haven't stopped binge drinking. And there are a lot of reasons for that, uh, most of which falls back to the idea that the universities are looking the other way. Let's face it, most of the kids coming to college are under age. Yes. That's They're what not I, 21. They're right. not even supposed to be drinking at all. This shouldn't be a discussion that we would really need to be having, and yet we know that many of the kids have already started binge drinking before they get to college. Well before. Uh-huh. But there also is the situation where they are now beginning to engage in binge drinking, sometimes for the first time when they go to college. Well, and there's some kids that that's what they think drinking is. You know, it's it's that you, on Friday night, you get as drunk as you can. Um, and if it happens again on Saturday night, that's, you know, that's a weekend. And it's not about going out and having a couple beers or, or whatever. It's about, okay, it's Friday, we're getting drunk. We're partying. Party. It, yes. It's interesting in looking at that study, they, they talked about normalizing. Um, and the colleges and universities will say the message, the drinking really isn't as bad as it's perceived to be. And they'll, they'll use language that the drinking really is is getting better and much more under control. And at the same time, there will be images of the tailgate parties and there will be the, the sorority, the fraternity parties where everybody is drunk and they're toasting and waving their beers around. And that that mixed message of, of we're we're looking at this, we're studying it, we're taking these steps, while at the same time the the emphasis is still 
greatly on the college um, pep rallies and the well, drinking and, events. And if you look at some of the alumni <laughs> events and and some of the oh, <clears throat> events that are designed to bring in dollars, basically, um, they are they're serving alcohol. They're they're kind of condoning that that if you're going to have a party of you know a certain stature that alcohol is going to be involved and you're going to um, try to wine and dine these people and get them to give money to the college. So it's it's about um, economics. Um, you you look at some of the private schools and and you watch every weekend when when it's time for football season, the biggest parties and the biggest drunks are these benefactor or you know the alumni alumni and and there's also the the campuses are surrounded by these bars that do do half drink specials and and happy hour specials um i thought actually a lot of those things had become illegal um but they're they're keep it right there around campus so people can walk to it they don't have to drive they don't have as as great a risk as if they were having to leave campus and go somewhere far away and do their drinking well robert staltz who is a senior research scientist at the prevention research center um says that um, institutions of higher learning are still really committed to the idea that if they educate the students, that obviously these are students coming to their universities, their institutions to gain an education. So if we educate them and if we just provide the right information and the right message, that that is going to change the behavior. But 30 to 40 years of research has shown this isn't the case. That it's not about educating the students about the dangers and and assuming that they are going to police themselves, that they're not going to let their friends drive drunk, that they're not going to let their friends overindulge that they're going to manage their own parties and their own activities, that doesn't happen. What changes the behaviors and reviews and and studies on the students themselves are saying that if they enforce the actual policies that are part of the university system, that it is the enforcement of these policies that will change the behavior, not the education about the dangers of alcohol and the, the consequences of it. So there's a lot of lip service that is paid and then we will have these multimedia events where a college student is killed during a hazing um, Mm -hmm. activity at a school or uh, a young person is gang raped um, by uh, uh, athletes of a a university or where uh, there was um, a situation where um, there was a a party, uh, a tailgate party that one of the universities had been trying to keep bring under control, and that it was not until a 14-year-old sibling was found passed out in a public bathroom that they um, finally took action on making sure that, um, and this was Duke University, that they finally shut down these huge all-day tailgate parties, the days of uh, football games. games. There are some things that the universities can do, but it is... um, 
it is going to take um, a look at where the money's coming from, and many, many times it is the source of the money, maybe the community and the bars and the activities that uh, they're donating to the university or the alumni or the sororities and fraternities mm-hmm. themselves, which are often not run or owned um, by the university but are strong supporters of university efforts. Uh, it, you know, as always, go back to the money uh, and see what's happening. But this is really serious. Very many students, probably way underestimated, um, are are being injured, assaulted, and careers destroyed because of um, of this use of alcohol that is not even legal. Right, and and that whole that whole concept of you know. Males, their brain becomes fully myelinated at 26 or 7, and females a little before that. Um, and then you think about all this crazy stuff that happens right in that period, the sweet spot of 18 to, to 23, and their brain isn't even adult enough to really look at these choices and decide which one would be best or most um, safe. Or even to accept the validity of the education that they're getting from the universities about the dangers of the of drinking, the dangers of binging, the dangers of underage use of alcohol and drugs. That part of their brain is still not fully developed. They don't believe they're invincible. They don't really comprehend they could die. Right. This is not part of what their brain can do and they they really struggle with this and expecting them to be self-policing is not realistic well and that's that's you oftentimes talk about how you know you have to you have to keep some of the stuff during the 18 to 20 some years period because the fear is not there and they're willing to go do some of these crazy things that maybe the service asks them to do or you know, mm-hmm. that somebody with a fully myelinated brain would say, mm, no thanks. So with these un- unmyelinated brains, they're getting these really mixed messages where 98% of universities su- su- surveyed say they're doing education about the dangers of alcohol. And at the same time, in, in all of their bookstores, they're selling um, jello shooter molds <laughs> and koozies with their with their school labels on it and sponsoring tailgate parties. And unfortunately, they're not enforcing the rules they already have. So we encourage you to have a safe back-to-school season and have those discussions with the kids because it really is so important. The example and the words that the parents use have a big impact on this student's behavior. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on Detailing Addiction. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. 
So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Obamacare is failing, but in order to get back on the right track with health policy, people need to be informed. ObamacareWatch.org is your resource to understand what's happening with this law and what you can do to stay active, stay informed, and make positive change happen. ObamacareWatch.org. Visit us now. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. 